Hello again, Bradford Church. Are we ready for God's Word this morning? So please open your Bibles to the book of Acts. As we are going to read our scripture reading found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Let us all stand. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. May God bless the reading from His Holy Word. Please be seated. I am so excited to start our new series today. We have just finished a seven-part series about our Lord Jesus Christ. We studied from the Gospel of John and exposed seven I Am statements of our Lord. So from the book of John, we turn to the book of Acts. In this series, we entitled Acts, The Movement Begins. Now, the book of Acts tells the story of the early church. It's very important. It's a historical account. It's the only infallible account of the history of the beginning of the church, the first 30 years of the church after the ascension of Christ. Who wrote the book of Acts? Anybody? Luke. You know? Luke wrote the book of Acts. Okay? Luke is the writer of the Gospel of Luke. And the book of Acts serves as a volume two. Some say that the Gospel of Luke and Acts is just one collection of you know, narratives, a historical account of the life of Jesus, his ministry, the growth of the church. So Luke and Acts are actually continuation. In fact, they were written to the same person, Theophilus. We will be learning about that guy later on. So imagine the Bible without the book of Acts. You know, you, in, the, in the Gospels, you have there the story of Christ. And then if, if the book of Acts is missing, suddenly you have Romans, you have Paul, and now the church is in Rome. And then you have Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and so on. And you will be wondering, who are these people? <laughs> Why there are churches here? Now, we know that all the letters, the epistles that follows in the New Testament are simply results, the product of what the movement is all about in the book of Acts. So the book of Acts is not just the book of the apostles, the Acts of the apostles, but clearly this is the Acts of the Holy Spirit. All right? This is the Acts of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the early church. Now, our goal in this study, you know, is this. One is to revive our convictions about the Holy Spirit. Some people say that the Holy Spirit is the most neglected God in the Trinity. <laughs> right? It's like, especially for mainline evangelicals or Protestants, we rarely talk about the Holy Spirit. 
No? So, our goal here is to revive our conviction about the Holy Spirit in line with His movement in the early church because we believe that the same Holy Spirit that ignited, empowered the early church so that they were growing and they were turning the world upside down, according to Acts, is the same Holy Spirit present and active in the church and in the life of believers today. And second, we want to recapture the passion and the persistence of the early church as they witness for Jesus. Again, powered by the same Holy Spirit. Why were they so bold? Why were they so willing to tell others? Why is the church today so lethargic, afraid to even share the gospel? Because we believe we don't want to offend anyone. Right? So we want to recapture that. You know, for this past three years in our church, we see the movement of the Holy Spirit. You know why? Because the results of our ministries were more during the pandemic <laughs> compared to the, the normal you know, life before. We baptized more. We baptized, you know, we baptized more than 100 people already, you know, beginning this year. You know, we have so many outreaches during the pandemic. <laughs> and do you know, as of now, there are almost 900 people, members in our outreach. All right? This is within Cebu City. And that is why this was evidenced during our Resurrection Sunday. Remember, we were only targeting around 700 people to come. All right? But how many people showed up? 1,200 people attended our sunrise service. Something that we did not expect. And what is this? This is the result of the Holy Spirit. That's the only explanation. <laughs> we cannot say that, you know, we've, we've become better. It's the Holy Spirit working. And so, we want to recapture that outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the church because that is the secret, the secret to a healthy and a vibrant church when the Holy Spirit is active, right? And so, as we study chapter 1, I'd like to entitle it, The Movement is Cast. The Movement is but first of all, what is a movement? <laughs> what is a movement? I googled movement, and this is what Google tells us. An act of changing physical location or position. So that's the little sense of the word. A change or development. But then I think the one that we are referring here is in the third. A group of people working together to advance their shared ideas to advance their shared ideas now there are at least four basic elements for a movement to become a movement you have shared ideas people or members all right and then there's the primary mover and then the fourth there has to be the right situation when all these four 
meet together. Then, boom, a movement start. Right? And we've seen so many movements. Like, for example, just in the history of the Philippines, you know, remember the EDSA revolution. You have the shared ideas, you have the people, there's a primary mover, and then there's a good situation. And friends, we can say that the church that Jesus Christ started was a movement. There's the idea, the theology, the principle, the word, and then there's the primary mover, Jesus Christ. And then there's the situation, the world that is dying in need of the gospel. And so we find in Acts, the movement begins. All right? Jesus Christ prepared the disciples, prepared Israel, the nation of Israel for this movement. And when Jesus Christ finished all the necessary things to start the movement, his death on the cross, his resurrection, the final part is the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then the movement began. So the church started as a movement and it's still moving. Amen? It's still moving. You cannot be a church and be, you know, stationary and not moving. Otherwise, you cease to become the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus said, and I will build my church and even the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. If hell could not prevail the church, then the church ought to be moving. And so are you part of the church, brethren? We are a movement. Now let's go to Acts chapter 1, verse 1 to 11. Now let, let me just tell you something about Acts chapter 1. This is a transition. In fact, there is an overlapping of event between Acts chapter 1 and Luke 24, 48. If you read Luke 24, 48 to 53, and Acts chapter 1, it's like Luke is, is overlapping the events to make sure that people would understand that how he ends the gospel is how he starts the book of Acts. So Luke 24 ends with the ascension of Christ. You know, Jesus making his last few instructions before he ascends to heaven. Acts chapter 1 repeats that instruction, right? So there is an overlap, and here, this is where Jesus Christ casted the vision for the movement. So this is where you find the Great Commission. So the Great Commission has several angles. You have the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 to 19, and then that's, that's a familiar one. Go and make disciples of all nations. Right? And then Mark has his own version of the Great Commission. Go and preach the gospel to all creation. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And then Luke has his own version, this one, and in the book of Acts. All right? Now, let's begin. When Jesus cast the vision you know, of this movement, you know, he starts with a connecting prologue. A connecting prologue. Look at verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Notice that 
This is the same way Luke started in the Gospel. So the Gospel of Luke, if you go to Luke chapter 1, we find there that this is actually, you know, a letter or a, an account, a historical account that Luke is making towards this person, Theophilus. Alright? So the whole Gospel of Luke was written to Theophilus, the same thing with the book of, of Acts. So in my former book, so we can say that Acts is volume 2 of Luke's Chronicle of the Life of Jesus Christ. He wrote all about Jesus. Now, first, who is this Theophilus? This is the main recipient of the Gospel of Luke and Acts. Now, we don't know exactly. Luke did not elaborate. But scholars came up with a lot of theories. One, he may have been Luke's supporter who helped finance the writing of the book. So, some historians would say he's, he's a Roman, you know, He's either a, a person with, with position in the government and he's now a believer and he's financing Luke into making a historical account of Christ. Some would say that he's a Roman acquaintance of Luke with a strong interest in the new Christian religion. That Luke is trying to tell him, you know, this is Jesus. Some others say that he may be a defense lawyer of Paul in his trial in Rome. Right? So he's defending Paul. And so Luke is helping this lawyer to know about the things about Christ that what Paul is talking is real. So Luke is making eyewitness account on the life of Jesus Christ so that he could help Paul in, in his defense. And still others say that Theophilus may have been a symbolic title because Theophilus, all right, it, it's a name, it's a compound word. Theos, Theo means God. Philo, 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 love. So it could mean lover of God. So if your name is Theophilus, it means you're a lover of God. So it could be symbolic. Luke could be writing to all believers who love God. And he is giving us an account of who Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ did. And this account is all about Jesus. Luke says, I wrote about all that Jesus began and do and teach. Verse 2, until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So here, clearly, Luke is telling us that the Holy Spirit has a vital role. After Jesus Christ ascended to heaven, now it's the role of the Holy Spirit to move the church. Christ provided the foundations. The Holy Spirit provides the muscles for the church to move. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. So, Christ was giving them proofs for the next 40 days. You know, how many days was, was Jesus on earth after his resurrection? 40 days. So, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days. And what was he doing in those 40 days? He was simply giving them proofs that he is alive. All right? Now, 
Those 40 days is summarized in just one verse by Luke. What was he doing in those 40 days? He was talking about the kingdom of God. So if you're asking, what was Jesus doing? The same thing. Remember, when he started his ministry, we are told that he preached the gospel of the kingdom. The very first words of Jesus Christ recorded in Matthew when he started his preaching after his baptism were this, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And friends, he died, he rose from the grave, and it's still the same message. The kingdom of God. Friends, why was Jesus Christ preaching about the kingdom? Because that's the reason why he came. That's the reason why he died. Because he wants you and me to be part of his kingdom. Because he's the king. Amen? He's the king. And a king cannot be a king without people. All right? So we are the people of the king. He is building his kingdom. And Christ is preaching the kingdom. And that is the same message of the apostles, preaching about the gospel of the kingdom. So that's the prologue, the connecting prologue. Luke is trying to connect us, you know, from the gospels to the gospel, to the book of Acts. Now, secondly, okay, the movement was cast with a commanding plan. What was the plan of Christ? You know, here we find Jesus' last instructions to the disciples. Look at verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. All right? Two important instructions. Number one, do not leave Jerusalem. <laughs> do not leave Jerusalem. That's the instruction. Wait. All right? The second is, wait for the gift of my Father promise, which you have heard me speak about. So two instructions. As I go to heaven, wait. You have to tarry in Jerusalem. Wait. Stay here. Do not leave. Okay? So those are important instructions because you have to receive first. You should not do anything substantial unless you have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Verse 5, Jesus says, For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is important. Okay, let's go, let's be technical for a while. There are two baptisms for the Christians. First is water baptism. And we know, how many of us have been water baptized already? Raise your hand. Please raise your hand if you are baptized with water. All right. Now, there is a second form of baptism that Jesus mentioned. Okay, and this is very important. This is a crucial theology because this is coming from our Lord Himself. Okay? John baptized with water. It's a, it's a water, it's water baptism. It's a baptism of repentance. Right? All the disciples were baptized, even Jesus Christ himself, to fulfill prophecy, right? But then Jesus says, in a few days. So that's the waiting. Now, those few days are actually how many days? Ten days. Right? Ten days. That's why the Spirit came, Pentecost, right? That's ten days after Jesus ascended. So when you say Pentecost, it means 50 days 
after the Passover. So Pentecost is you count 50 days after the Passover. That's the Pentecost celebration. And that's where the Holy Spirit... Now, now Jesus says, in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, so many things were written and said about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What is this baptism of the Holy Spirit? This is so controversial. Don't you know that the church is divided because of this baptism of the Holy Spirit? Now, probably the first question is this. Have I been baptized by the Holy Spirit? Have you been baptized by the Holy Spirit? Pastor, wala lagi na nag-promote. We don't have a class. <laughs> All right? Now, what is this baptism of the Holy Spirit? This is necessary because Jesus says, you have to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, we know from, from this account that the baptism of the Holy Spirit happened 10 days later when the Spirit came. And remember, in, in chapter 2, that will be our lesson next Sunday. You know, tongues of fire rested on the head of the, the apostles. The Holy Spirit came, and the Holy Spirit came with a big bang. You know, the whole place was shaken. All right? Remember, they are in the second floor. Remember, we were there, the upper room. It's a huge place. They were all there, 120 of them. And the Holy Spirit came, and they spoke with tongues, different tongues, different languages. So, what is this baptism of the Holy Spirit? Now, I'm not, I'm not here to elaborate now, okay? We will, we will set aside a single sermon for this. But just to give you a foretaste, all right? There are three views about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay, for the Catholics, the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens in the sacrament of confirmation, right? Remember? And during the confirmation, the, the bishop will lay his hand on the confirmant and would pray, receive the Holy Spirit. So that's what the Catholics believe. That's, that's how a person is baptized with the Holy Spirit among the Catholics. Now for the Protestants. Okay. The Protestants are divided. And probably this is where we or some of us stand. It happens at the salvation experience, all right? And this is probably what you learn. It happens like when you trust Jesus Christ, when you accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, you know, the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens simultaneously. Say, ah, all right, so nabaptize na ko, pastor. Did you feel anything? All right? Wala man, no? Well, it doesn't have to be. So, that's a second view. But then there's a third view. The third view is that it is a subsequent experience. Right? Some evangelicals, most Pentecostals believe on the third. Okay? So for, among the, our Pentecostal brethren, they believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a subsequent event. In other words, it is different from, from your salvation. All right? And it seems that if you look at the gospel and Acts, it seems that the gospel account, the Acts account, sides with the third. Why? Because when did, when did, the, whole, when did the Holy Spirit came to the disciples? Acts chapter 2. When were they saved? Three years before. 
Remember? Jesus was with them three years. So there's a span of three years before they got the Holy Spirit. So it seemed that, you know, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a subsequent event. Now, we will talk about it. I'm just here to tickle your, your minds, all right? So you have to follow our series. All right, from, from the baptism, okay, let's go to the confusing prophecy. Okay, when Jesus casted the movement, there was a confusing prophecy. Look at verse 6. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Notice their question. Are you going to restore? Now, even if the disciples, you know, they, they went through all the process of Christ's death, resurrection, and still they're thinking, you know, you know, they're thinking that Christ's coming is what? A political, you know, Christ has a political agenda. All right? When, when Jesus died on the cross, they, you know, they, they got frustrated. Oh, probably he's not the king that we're waiting for. Right? Then when Jesus Christ rose from the grave, then their spirits were revived. Oh, so maybe this time, this is when Jesus Christ himself as prophesied by the prophets in the Old Testament that the Messiah will come, the Messiah will start his kingdom, and they thought that that kingdom will start with a political revival of the nation of Israel. They thought that during the time when Jesus ascended, they thought that Jesus Christ would, you know, destroy the Romans and restore the kingdom of Israel. That's their question. When? Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? That's their thinking. They're still thinking physical kingdom. Remember, Jesus is always teaching them, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom starts as a spiritual kingdom. Jesus' kingdom started when the king arrived. Amen? When he arrived, the kingdom started. But little did they know that the kingdom of God starts from within, not from without. It starts from the inside. It's a spiritual kingdom. Jesus Christ must sit first in the throne of the hearts of men before He can sit in the throne of David. All right? God must deal first with the sin problem before the political problem. And it's still the same thing in the world today, even as we are drawing near our election. You know, people, again, think that, you know, when we have the right president, when we have the right senator, you know, things will be better. Well, we will pray, we will pray. But you will realize from our history, and not just our history in the Philippines, in the whole history of the world, Real change starts from here. Jesus must first be elected in the hearts of men. Right? It's not who is sitting in Malacanang that can bring real change. And that's the work of the church. That's why the church, we don't, you know, we don't participate in political, you know, that's not, that's not our ministry. God has given the church another ministry not to deal with political issues, 
but our issue is spiritual. Right? Our goal is to what? Is to campaign for Jesus in the hearts of men. Because that's where real change happens. When Christ becomes king. And, and the disciples were still thinking. And I'm sure Jesus again was frustrated. You know? How dull that still you don't understand. I don't have to sit in the throne you know, of Herod to be your king. I am your king if you receive me into your life. Their question is still physical. Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? But you know what? Jesus Christ this time, the resurrected Lord, did not rebuke them. <laughs> you know? He did not say, how foolish, the same way that He answered them before. No. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by His own authority. He's not saying that it will not happen. No. He's saying, you're wrong, it will not happen. No. He's simply saying, it's not for you to know. So here, this is an important thing, brethren, about prophecies. Our goal in prophecy is not to predict times and dates. <laughs> a lot of people are, you know, a lot of people are focusing so much about, you know, the date, the year, you see? To the point that a lot of people made mistakes. And it's very clear, Jesus says, it's not for you to know times and dates. So, so if, if you're going through some Bible studies or discussions and then you talk about dates, it's, it's a sign. <laughs> I'm in the wrong place. Because Jesus says, it's not for you to know. Alright? There are many things that we need to do in the work. And knowing dates and times is not part of it. <laughs> it's very clear. That's what Jesus said. It's not for you to know the times and dates the Father has set by His own authority. In other words, it will come. And Christ is saying, you don't focus on, on predicting those times. Instead, this is your focus, the power. Verse 8, all right? So after the confusing prophecy, we go to the compelling power. So Jesus is saying, but you will receive. So this is a continuation, huh? This is just one sentence, all right? One statement of Christ. It's not for you to know the days and times the Father has set, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is saying, instead of focusing on the days and time when I will return, in which that is not the right way to prepare, the right way to prepare for the coming of Christ is for us to be involved in witnessing. That's the main point. Brethren, Acts 1.8 is the heart verse of Acts. Acts 1.8 is the outline of the book of Acts. This is the outline. Alright? Why it's an outline? First, it's talking about receiving power. That's where you find Acts chapter 2. Alright? Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came. And what happens next, right? What happens next is that it gives you the flow of the book of Acts. First, it starts with Jerusalem. So they stayed in Jerusalem. 
And then they went to Judea and Samaria. And then they went to the ends of the earth. That's the book of Acts. The book of Acts is summarized in Acts 1.8. It's a summary. Okay? And here we find the very core of the mission of our Lord Jesus Christ. A movement needs to have a mission. A movement without a mission is not a movement. It's just a club. But a movement to be a movement, it has to have a mission. Now, our mission has a compelling message. Okay? And what is the compelling message of the church? There's only one message, Jesus. Amen? There's only one message. Look at, look at the verse again in the New King James Version, in the literal, literal translation. It says there, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be, my, you shall be witnesses to me. Now, that's the construction in the Greek. You shall be witnesses to me. In other words, the me there is the main subject of our witnessing. Friends, when we witness, we don't witness about our church. <laughs> we don't advertise our church. We advertise Jesus. Jesus is the main product of the church. Jesus is the main ad. He is the main message. We are to tell people about who Jesus Christ is, what He has done. That's why in our previous series, we learn about who Jesus Christ is. Because that's what we want to share to the world. Second, a compelling method. Jesus gave us a method, a compelling method. What is that method? Witnessing. Right? This is an interesting word. Witnessing. Okay? And you will be my witnesses. The Greek word for witness is martus. Martus. And it's exactly the same word, you know, as it is today, a witness in a court. A witness is someone who testifies in a court. The only job of a witness is to tell the truth. That's why there's a Bible and you say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So, help me God. That's the witness. And that's the word Jesus Christ used. Now, the word martus, later on, you know, that's where we get the word also martyr. Okay? Martyr. That's the word. Okay, why? Because along the way, those people, those Christians who witness for the truth, who testifies for the truth of Christ, they were willing to die for the truth. And that's where the meaning changed along the way. So that now, when you look at the word a martyr, it means someone who, who, who dies for a cause. But it really starts from, from the Bible. Why were they called martyrs? Because they were willing to suffer and die for the truth. Most of the Christians in the first century, they were all martyred because of their faith. Right? And, and what is witnessing? Telling the truth. That's just it. You testify. You tell the truth about Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? What He has done? What is He offering to the world? That's the main method of our mission. 
Every Christian ought to be involved in witnessing. Witnessing is not, it's not the work of the pastor, the missionaries. No. It's your work. It's my work. Can you please tell the person next to you? Witnessing is your work. Igna, tell the person next to you. Remind that person. Okay? If you're not witnessing, listen, if you're not witnessing, then you're probably not a part of the Lord. <laughs> because that's, that's what Jesus Christ is saying. You will receive power and you will be my witnesses. Friends, if, we, if you are not witnessing Jesus, then what are you? What are you doing? That's the essence of being a follower of Christ. Amen? That's what makes us Christians. We witness. So in this next few months, friends, we are going to immerse ourselves as a church. You know, we are going to have trainings. If, if your reason, Pastor, I don't know how to witness, then we will train you. This will be our focus for the next two to three months in our church. Immersing our church into how we are to become the witnesses of Jesus Christ. Amen? It's not only the Jehovah's Witness that are witnessing. We are Jesus' witnesses. Amen? And, and when Jesus says, you are my witnesses, He's alluding to an Old Testament prophecy. Again, Jesus Christ is saying here, I am still the I am. So when Jesus says, you are my witnesses, he's alluding to an Old Testament prophecy, Isaiah 43, 10 to 13. Look at this. This is the Lord says, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord. And by the way, this is where the JW people get their name. This is their theme verse. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am He. This is what Jesus is, is actually claiming. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord. And apart from me, there is no Savior. Verse 12, I have revealed and saved and proclaimed, I and not some foreign God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord. Imagine how many times He repeats the word witnesses. That I am God, yes, and from ancient days I am He. No one can deliver out of my hand when I act. Who can reverse it? Amen? Jesus is the I am. And Jesus is saying, I am making you my witnesses. Amen? Number three, our mission has a compelling movement. What should be the movement of the church? We should just stay here, Pastor? Wait for people to come? You know, let's, let's provide snacks so that more people will come. Is that the movement of the church? Stay here? Well, there was one time Jesus says, stay there, but it's only for 10 days. <laughs> because after that, they could not stay there. They have to move out. The movement of our mission is local to global local to global and you know some genius created a word for that we go global <laughs> all right global in scope local in missions all right look at look at the movement you'll be my witnesses in jerusalem in old judea samaria and to the ends of the world 
of the earth. Friends, this movement, as I've said, this is actually a, a, an outline of the book of Acts. Because Acts 1 to 7, they were just in Jerusalem. All right? Chapter 8 to 13, they were in Judea and Samaria. And then chapter 14, towards the end of Acts, that's where Paul started to go out into the whole earth. So that's the movement of the church, local to global. But let me correct first, because a lot of us think that, you know, uh, pastor, we should not send, we should not, I hear this long time ago, we should not have a budget, you know, let's not make a budget to send people to Korea or, you know, to Africa. Wala pagani na to na, focus on satadere. Okay, our mindset is this. This is how people understand this. Okay? That it has to be progressive. So first, Jerusalem. And then once you're done with Jeru your Jerusalem, you go to Judea and Samaria. Okay? Is that how you think also? Ayog jump, pastor. Musugo juga. Alright. That's not how this verse was said by Christ. This is not step one, step two, step three. All right? The way this is said is this, no? As you preach in Jerusalem, you know, you start your Judea and Samaria. And while you are in your Judea and Samaria, you start to go to the ends of the earth. In other words, this has to be done simultaneously. All right? Because in Acts chapter 2, how many people were there gathered? 3,000. All those 3,000 went. That's why you read Romans. Nobody went to Rome. Who, who preached the gospel to Rome? Why is it that after the book of Acts, you have the book of Romans? Why? No disciples went, no apostle went to Rome. The explanation? Those who were part of Acts chapter 2, they were there. See? So it's not that we start first with Jerusalem and then next five years, our next is, okay? It's not like that. The idea is that they all started in Acts chapter 2 and then boom. Some went to Judea and Samaria. Some went immediately to the ends of the earth. See? That's how missions takes place. Because if we say, uh, we'll, we'll first focus on the local pastor, Ari lang sa Cebu Island, and then later on, ato sa Kuan. Friends, maabuta lang ginoo. Hindi na na tumahuman. Alright? So what, what the Bible is saying is this, while, while some of us are focusing on our outreaches here in Cebu, some of us should be talking about other islands of the Philippines. While some of us will be sent to Africa, you know, to Muslim countries. You see, we can do this simultaneously. That's our approach here in Bradford Church. We don't wait for, for all outreaches here in Cebu and then we go to the next step. We go local. Alright? Focus on the local with mindset going global. Alright? Our goal is that one of these days, someone will capture the mission, vision and say, Pastor, I want to go to Afghanistan. I want to go to Russia. I want to go to Ukraine and help the people there. Why not? Why not? Paul went so as far as Rome 
see? Why not? Maybe maybe you're you're planning to work in Dubai. Right? Some somebody left for Dubai and we said, you know, we could start a church in Dubai. You know? You start a church there, you know? You are there as a worker, you know, you work there, but remember, as a member of Bradford Church, you're a worker of God. Wherever God will lead you, the spirit is also with you. That's the movement. Local to global. And then number four, a compelling mover. A compelling mover. The Holy Spirit. See? How can they do such movement? Can you imagine? It starts with 11. And they're not even, they don't have even titles. They don't have even MBAs. They don't have doctor's degree. Fishermen, some of them, what? Outcasts. Zealots, see? And then, what happened? From these 11, they become 120 in the upper room. And you know what happened to this 120? After the preaching of Peter, 3,000 were added. As you go to chapter 5, they are now 5,000. As you go to the next chapters, people are saying, they're making the world upside down. See? They're causing already. They're, they're growing to the point that, that the emperor in Rome took notice already. What are these Christians doing? Who are they? That even if they kill them, it will not stop them. What is the primary mover of, this, of these Christians? Nabay promise ay lang, if you do this, you will get one million? No. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's that's the secret. Why were these Christians willing, you know, to suffer for the truth? You see, because they have received the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, this is the power that is missing in some churches today. You know? You know, what's, okay, praise God for some, you know, growing churches but there are so many churches that are dying as well. You know? I, I'm sure some of you visited, you know, churches in, in Europe, in America, huge churches, nice churches, but dead. <laughs> no life. They're just edifice, no people. Or there are people, but people are dying. Amen? So many. Why? What's missing? They have the resources, they have the money. Friends, I tell you, our work is not political. Our work is not physical. Our work is spiritual. And if our work is spiritual, we need the power of the Spirit. We cannot convince people using just, you know, we cannot draw people simply because, you know, we have a nice church. You know, we provide them with nice visuals. A lot of churches today think that we can attract people by providing them glitzy and nice things like nice sound system, comfortable places. You know, even if we try to woo people in using physical, you know, resources, that will not bring transformation. You know why? Because change can only be done through the Spirit and His Word. Even if we have the best technology, 
if the Holy Spirit is not working with us, we will be gathering people, but we have to feed them with all their desires. The moment you talk about real truth, and they're gone. Because they say, you know, you hurt us, Pastor. But unless the Holy Spirit changed them, there's no real repentance. That's why it's the power of the Holy Spirit. And friends, this is what we need in our church. This is what we need. This is what you need. This is what I need. If you're afraid, listen, if you don't know how to witness, if you're afraid to tell the taxi driver, you know, a person that you meet along the way, if you're afraid to tell them about Jesus, it means you're missing something. The power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because this is the same thing with the disciples. Remember, who were the disciples before Acts 2? What are their descriptions? Coward. Terrified. Chicken. <laughs> afraid. Diba? They were afraid. But notice what happened after Acts chapter 2. Suddenly, they become so bold. They were on the streets. No one can stop them. Even the government could not stop. Remember, Peter, James, and John, how many times they were forbidden to preach? They were in prison, you know? And then they're set free. And then the authority says, stop preaching Jesus. But you know what happened? The next day, they're on the same place. They're doing the same thing. And what is the principle of Peter? We must obey God and not man. See? Why do they have that boldness? It's because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Brethren, that is what you need. That's what I need today. We need the Holy Spirit to fuel us. All right? And then Jesus Christ ends with a comforting promise. As he casts his vision, you know, it's so dramatic because he ends it with some comforting promise. Notice what happened here. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. And can you imagine the disciples now? Remember, no Holy Spirit yet. So they're still afraid. Lord, uh, Lord, help us, Lord. Lord, we don't know. So, so as, as Jesus Christ was taken up, they were just staring. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. All right? Suddenly. In other words, Luke tells us that this is something supernatural. It's like, they were not there before, and then suddenly, they were there. And what did these two men say? Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? And here's the promise. This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Friends, that's the comfort. That gives them comfort because they thought, oh no, what can we do? Jesus is no longer with us. Remember, as long as Jesus was with them, you know, they were powerful, they were, they were courageous. But once Jesus Christ was gone, remember during the crucifixion, what happened to the disciples? They all abandoned. They all bailed out. But now, here's the promise. Jesus says, I mean, this, the, the angel says, this same Jesus will return. 
in the same way. So when the Bible says in the same way, in the same place, in the same manner, Jesus Christ ascended bodily, Christ will also return bodily. Amen? On the exact place, Mount of Olives. That's the same place that Christ will come. And friends, that gave them now confidence that Christ will return. And friends, that is the comfort for the church today. In fact, that should keep us excited. Remember? Kabantay mo ka feel mo nang you know, your your mom left and then kamura onya nagsaad si mom na you know, when I when I come back, I'll buy all these things and we kids, unsa itong feeling? Excited, mom, kanus ama ka mo appeal uli, mom, ba? Are you are you there yet now? The same thing. That should keep us excited. And once we are excited, when the church is excited, we are what? We are energized. Amen? To do the work. So let, let me close with three applications. Write this down. Having known this casting of the movement, what is now your work, my work? What is now your action, my action? Three, number one. That tells me that I need the Holy Spirit. Want the Holy Spirit. Have the desire. I want it. I want to be like the early apostles. I want that power. See? Want the Holy Spirit. Second, wait for Jesus' coming. Repeat it in the scripture. Wait. So, so Christians should have this idea that while, while we work here, we have this at the back of our minds, I'm waiting for my Lord. I'm waiting for my Lord. Have that sense of waiting all the time. And then third, of course, witness for Jesus daily. That's what God wants us to do in this sermon. Witness for Jesus. Tell others. Tell the truth. Okay? In fact, it's good if you, make, if you give yourself a goal, one person per day, See? One person per day, I will tell someone about Jesus Christ. You know, it's your own goal. See? And, and that's how it is for the movement to start. It starts with the Spirit and you and in me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we bless you, Lord. We magnify you, Lord. We thank you for this message, Lord. We need the Holy Spirit. Oh, Holy Spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ and of our Father. We know that apart from you, we can do nothing. We want to thank you, Holy Spirit, that during the pandemic, when we were paralyzed physically, we cannot go out. Our work is limited. But your work is unlimited because it is during the pandemic season where so many things were accomplished by your church, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We had more baptisms during the pandemic season than before. We have more outreach works when we are limited in our capacity because we have an unlimited source. Oh, we acknowledge you, Holy Spirit. It was your work. Thank you. Thank you so much. Continue to empower Bradford Church and all churches here in Cebu. 
to move this city upside down for Jesus. Give us the power to witness for Jesus, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen.